you tonight. Uh, Brother John, I used to call him Little John. I can't call him that anymore, although he's the smaller version of Brother John. So he is Little John, I guess. But looks like he's gaining weight, so if he keeps this up pretty soon, he'll be Big John. We want him to come take his liberty. What? No, you haven't seen me. Stick around. We'll, we'll get there in a minute. You know, it's like it's like the guy that was playing in a foursome, and and uh, he was 96 years old, and he kept hitting the ball in the trees and in the water, and the other three guys couldn't understand why he wasn't getting all upset. And he said, "I'm just happy to be on this side of the grass. You know, it don't matter where the ball goes. I'm just happy to be here." And that's where we all are tonight. We're glad to be here. Brother John, come take your liberty. Why don't we give that praise to the Lord tonight, right now? Lord, you're worthy, O oh God, of all that we can offer up, Almighty God. Lord, you're worthy of all the praise, O oh God, that we can lift up to you, O oh Lord. We give you everything right now, O oh God. Thank you, mighty God. We worship you, O oh Lord. Hallelujah. It's good to see all of your faces here tonight. It's blessed. We are blessed to be a people here gathering in the United States of America on a Thursday night in the presence of God. I give honor to Bishop and to Pastor, who's not here today, for allowing me to speak here. Uh, I'm sure he's watching online to make sure I don't mess up too badly. Uh, it's good to see everybody. Amen. I want to open up to Genesis 22:17, and it says that in blessing I will bless thee and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies tonight I want to talk to you from a few moments from this title at the river's crossing shake somebody's hand as you're seated in the presence of the Holy Ghost With the new year already here, today being January 5th, a number of Americans who have reset the long-standing phrase, New Year, New Me, are down to just saying New Year. <laughs> but with this new year, some Americans, less than half of us, about 37% of us will write down what we call a New Year's resolution. A resolution meaning a firm decision to do or not to do something. And of these newfound changes that reoccur every year, about one in five of Americans have agreed to the following list of resolutions. So if you agree with any of these, just give me a head nod. And if you don't agree with any of these, then shake your head. And I'll have Bishop be my recorder. <laughs> we'll see all your responses next December. Amen. So starting off the list, we have improve physical health. So whether that includes eating healthier or exercising, or walking to your chick favorite Chick-fil-A instead of driving. <laughs> then we have saving more money, whether that means making more money to save more, or cutting down on your expenses, 
such as not going to Chick-fil-A all the time. <laughs> Allie's feeling the conviction. <laughs> and the next one is becoming more happy or working on your happiness. So you can definitely make sure that you're going to Chick-fil-A for this one. <laughs> so you can go ahead and cross off the first two off your list. And the last one being losing weight. And according to Bishop, I need to lose some. <laughs> this is kind of like the first one, but since that's already crossed off the list, you've got to be intentional about working off those chicken sandwiches. Amen. However, a lot of change, a lot of this change isn't anything big or sudden. It's kind of something that takes time to develop into, into a healthy habit that you can work into your current life. But on the other hand, a sudden change wouldn't be as warm of a welcome. You wouldn't welcome it into your life. If God told you tomorrow that you w couldn't have carbs anymore, how well would that go at your house? Well, how would you feel if someone were to come up to you and say, hey, hey, do you want to go to the land overflowing with milk and honey? You're not meant to live your life like this under slavery until the end of your time. Do you want to go? And in the meantime, you're laboring, you know, you're working at whatever they were doing, and you look at this dude and you're like, what, what are you talking about? What do you mean land overflowing with milk and honey? All I see around me are my captors and my work in front of me. See, when we are in the midst of our trouble, in the middle of our situation, sometimes that's all we can see. We can become nearsighted and not be able to see past it. Sometimes it can be hard to see past fog. The fog of our trials at those moments can make us complacent to sit down in our situation. And we can become comfortable within that time period although we shouldn't, amen? We all go through different seasons, but that doesn't mean we should get comfortable in a semi-decent time. We shouldn't just look at one season and be like, ah, this is okay, I can stay here for a little bit. We should always be progressing. We should never be stagnant. Sometimes it'll take a strong wind to blow that fog away so that we can look past our troubles, we can look past our situation, and we can focus on what's really important. But I'm glad to say that the Lord meets us where we're at. Just like the Lord our God heard the cries of the Israelites in the midst of their slavery, he hears when we cry out to him. God took Moses' passion for his brethren and used him as a vessel to deliver his people from bondage. And we all know how the story goes. Moses told Pharaoh to let his people go, and Pharaoh didn't want to. And just like the Lord had said, it would take a mighty hand before his people would be released, and then the plagues had to happen, and eventually they were let go. Turning to Exodus 14, Starting in verse number one. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn in a camp before Piharoth, between Migdol and the sea, over against Baal Zephon, before it shall ye encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are entangled in the land, the wilderness had shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his host, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled, and the heart of the Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people. And they said, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? Skipping to verse 8, it says, And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with an hind hand. And skipping to verse 11, it says, 
And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt, dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said unto his people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will shew you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. And the Lord shall fight for you, and he shall hold your peace. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they go forward. But lift thou up thy rod, and stretch out thine hand over the sea, and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Amen. The Israelites immediately turned to Moses at the first sight of trouble, and they legitimately asked him if this was all just a plan for them to be lured away into the wilderness because of a lack of graze in Egypt. They didn't see past their situation. They had nearsightedness. They even went as far as to say that it would have been better for them to die, uh, for, sorry, for them to keep on being slaves rather than to die out here in the wilderness. See, when you're so used to the battles that you constantly are fighting, any good change that comes into your life can seem like a negative one. A plan to relieve you from your situation can come across as another battle that you have to fight. So when the Israelites saw the Egyptians, the Bible says they were sore afraid. And I'm sure at that time, I can only imagine they were looking at the Red Sea, just reflecting on everything. Just like, why did we listen to Moses? Why did we believe that we would be saved, that there would be a, a land overflowing with milk and honey? And at those times, it can be kind of dangerous to kind of look back at your life because then you can look back at your situation that you just came out of and you could want to go back into it and it could draw you back into that cycle that you just left. And relating that to our current times, the people of this world who are battling sin, who are battling drugs and addiction and whatever else would rather just put up with their situation rather than change. And why do I say that? It's because for the longest time, that's all that they have known. That's what they're used to. They found comfort in their situation, and so any good change that we could ever suggest to them will just seem like another battle that they are not willing to fight. Without God, it's much harder to reach these people. Without his spirit, how will the captives be set free? How will, be the, how will they be brought out of their bondage? Without God, the Israelites would not have been delivered from the hand of the Egyptians. In Exodus 14.5, the Bible says, Pharaoh and his servants asked, Why have we done this? Why have we allowed Israel to go and stop serving us? What happens when sin sees that you're doing better without it? It tries to draw you back in. It uses temptation to try and lure you back into its cycle. It tries to put you back in that same situation so that you were right where, where you started. And the enemy wants you to be in that same cycle of sin, of going through the motions again and again. The enemy doesn't like to see us delivered out of our situation because they know how powerful we are when we realize our worth as children of God. So when the Egyptians saw the Israelites and that they were turning around the course of their history, they're like, why do we do this? Why do we allow our slaves to go free? And that sin will come knocking on your door again. And so we know that the Israelites crossed safely across the Red Sea by the waters being pushed back by a strong wind when Moses lifted up his rod. And after that, they had been delivered and the waters crashed upon the Egyptians that were chasing them. And the Bible goes forth and says in Exodus 14, 31, 
And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. And we know that this victory only lasted so long. Because the people of Israel traveled to Sinai. And when Moses came down from the mount, he discovered that the Israelites were worshiping a golden calf. Just after agreeing to do whatever the Lord hath commanded them to do. And after departing Sinai, and later on getting to the land of Canaan, Moses sent 12 spies to search the land for 40 days. And 10 of the 12 spies did not believe that they could do it. They did not trust in the words of their Lord. They did not trust in his promises that he had given to their generations past. In uh, Numbers 13, 26. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron, and to all the congregation of the children of Israel, unto the wilderness of Paran, to Kadesh, and brought back word unto them, and unto all the congregation, and shewed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We came unto the land whither thou seest us, whither thou sentest us. And surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong, that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Malachites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of a great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight." And going to Numbers 14, starting in verse 5. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceedingly exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then we will bring, and he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. And going to verse 29, sorry, this is a lot of verses. Uh, Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, and all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number, from twenty years and upward, which have murmured against me. Doubtless ye shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to you to make you dwell therein, save Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. But your little ones, which ye have said, which ye said should be a prey, them will I bring in, and they shall know the land which ye have despised. For as for you, your carcasses, they shall fall in this wilderness, and your children shall wander in the wilderness forty years. And bear your whoredoms until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness. After the number of days in which ye search the land, even forty days, each day for a year, shall ye bear your iniquities. Even forty years, and ye shall know my breach of promise. 
I, the Lord, have said, I will surely do it unto all this evil congregation that are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall be consumed, and they, there they shall die. The Bible give, goes on even to tell us that the ten spies which told the Israelites a negative report were plagued and died. The judgment of God was upon them in the form that the people feared the most. They didn't want to die in the wilderness, and it ended up happening just like that anyway. Unbelief in God allows us, allows the enemy space to capitalize on us and put us back into that cycle of sin. Because the people of Israel believed in the lies of their enemy being stronger than them, they weren't going to be the ones to fulfill the promise of God. God had to change the entire generation to get them to believe. And we know the successor of Moses to be Joshua. He was commissioned of God, and he was one of the two spies out of the whole 12 that was still alive because of his faith in God. And so the people, the people of Israel at that time was a new generation. The old generation had been sentenced to die out in the wilderness for their unbelief. And this new generation only had stories of their previous generations, but they needed something more to go off of. God needed to show them in some way. God needed to show them that they were, so, they were to become the inhabitants of this so-called promised land. But what did that really mean? What did they know about it? And I imagine that being born in the wilderness at this time would have been kind of interesting, you know. Growing up when you're young, you wouldn't really know much. But as you're getting older, you would become more curious and ask more questions. You would kind of just wonder, why are we wandering around this wilderness? Like, I saw that tree three miles ago, you know? <laughs> but you just kind of do as you're told when you're younger. But then as you get older, you might, you might begin to question your parents and ask them, what, what happened in times past? Why are we here? And I'm sure it would have been an interesting story to share because the kids would probably be questioning everything. And after they would have heard their unbelief and the unfaithfulness of their previous generations, they would have probably been looking sideways at their parents like, you did what? <laughs> We're in this situation because of you? <laughs> but eventually, after Moses died and Joshua was commissioned to, by God to lead the Israelites into the promised land, it would take some event, some phenomenon, to prove to this new population about the long-standing promise from God that this would actually come to pass. Joshua 3 and 5 says, Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spake unto the priests, saying, Take up the ark of the covenant and pass over before the people. And they took up the ark of the covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. And thou shalt command the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When ye are come to the brink of the water of Jordan, ye shall stand still in Jordan. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, Come hither, and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Hereby ye shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth passeth over before you into Jordan. And going to verse 15, it says, And as they that bear the ark were come into Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped in, in the brim of the water, for Jordan overfloweth all his banks all the time of harvest, that the waters which came down from above stood and rose upon an heap very far from the city of Adam, 
as behind, beside Zeratang. And those that came down towards the sea of the plain, even the sea, salt sea, failed and were cut off. And the people passed over right against Jericho. And the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan. And all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. This would be no ordinary accomplishment that the people of Israel would be able to cross the Jordan River. Because in this season, the Jordan River was overflowing into all of the nearby river banks. The river at this time was wider than its normal 90 to 100 feet and deeper than its normal 3 to 10 feet deep waters. And although we don't have an exact measurement of how big the Jordan was at this time, and Joshua goes to show you that to cross the river, it would have been harder than normal and is a testament to the miraculous hand of God. It gave hope to the Israelites in their faith towards God, and it also made a reputation among their enemies about the God that Israel served. Musicians, you can join me on the platform. And we know that God is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the mighty God, the everlasting king. He is not bound by time or by space. He exists outside of these things. He knows what will happen tomorrow. He knows what will happen next week. He knows what will happen next year and for the rest of time. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we doing what he wants us to do? Are we trusting in his word and following his promises and commandments? Are we following the leading? Test, test. Are we following the leading of his spirit and his words and allowing them to guide us to the path that he wants us on? I was researching unique New Year's traditions that happen around the country, or happen around the world, sorry, that countries do, and one interesting one that I found was Ecuador. The people of Ecuador make these scarecrows that represent either notable people over the past year, or something, some like famous figure, basically. And at midnight on New Year's Eve, they light them on fire. And because they're filled with paper, they burn pretty quick. But they also burn old photographs that represent bad memories. This old tradition is to banish any ill fortune or any bad things that happened in the last 12 months and help to welcome in the new year with better things. And this reminded me of a couple weeks ago of when Lexi took the lies of the enemy and read them aloud and then placed them on the altar to represent whenever the enemy tries to tell you these things. It's not our job to take a picture of these. It's not our job to write these downs and frame it. Would you stand me with me tonight? It's not a devotion that we are going to keep speaking into ourselves. It's the opposite. We have to remind ourselves that this is what the enemy is trying to get us to believe, but this is the word of God. This is who and what God says I am, and I'm not going to believe any lie that the devil tries to tell me. Amen? And just like the Israelites, when they were going to cross the Jordan River, God had to show them that he was going before them. 
The priest holding the Ark of the Covenant went first to represent that God went first, to represent that God was with Israel, that he goes before them, and that he will protect them and defend them. We know that God exists outside of time, and if he has given you a promise, then he has already gone before you. God is bound by his word, so that promise, that will come to pass in whether it be five years, 10 years, 15 years, who knows even 20 years, it will come to pass. He's already there. He's already waiting for you. He has already set your path straight. He just wants us to follow after him with everything that is within us, to trust in his word and his promises and to follow his commandments. We just have to allow him to guide us on this journey called life. So the next time that the enemy tells you some lie from the pits of hell, don't just allow these words to be spoken over you. Rather, take a stand. Start speaking the word of God over your life. Because at the river's crossing, the promise of God may seem too far-fetched and unachievable. But it's just there that we have to take the next step of faith. That we have to follow the path that God has set before us. Why don't you sing with us tonight? You are here. Move.
The Bible says they were all baptized in the cloud and the sea. You know, we all got here because the Lord parted the waters for us. We're in the safety of the kingdom of God with the promises of God before us because he parted those waters. But then we come to the Jordan River. The Jordan River is a different story. If the Jordan River is going to part for us, we're going to have to do something about that. We're going to have to wade into the waters with faith like the priest did with the Ark of the Covenant. See, the waters didn't move until the priest waded into the waters. Too many of us are sitting there waiting for the Jordan River to part so we can cross. No, that's what happened at the Red Sea. We're at the Jordan right now. And if the waters are going to part for our church, they're going to part because we make them part. We have faith for them to part. It's like the Jebusites told David, you're not coming in here. David said, you want to bet? You want to bet whether I'm coming in or not? See, the enemy says, you can't take this city. You can't take Fort Myers. You can't have Lee County. I beg to differ with him. We can have this city. We are the people of God. We can take this city. This building is not big enough. Our property is not big enough. But our God is big enough. If you're just willing to step out by faith. Thank you, Brother John. Thank you, Brother. Come to the river. And we're not going to camp out on this side of revival. We're going to go on across and see what God is going to do. you got to step out by faith. Chrissy, you got to step out by faith. She told me about a dream she had. you got to step out by faith. See, we're all waiting for God to build a bridge. God, you take the first step, and I'll put the first link in the bridge. And I believe God's waiting on us. We talk about waiting on God. God's been waiting on us. Amen. When you pray, pray with faith. Declare things. Don't just ask God to do it. Declare them. Prophesy. Speak these things into existence. Speak to that infirmity. Don't just ask God to heal that person. Speak to their infirmity. Command. Take authority over it. Command it to leave. You have power with God. You understand that? You have power through the name of Jesus. Praise God. We're, we're too meek with the things of the Spirit. We need to break out and take dominion in the ghost. Thank you, Jesus. Well, glory to God. God is good. Going to get home early tonight. But what happens every time we end search early, y'all stand around fellowship about the same length of time. It's still 9 o'clock. So, amen. God bless you. Enjoy one another tonight. Thank you, Brother John. We appreciate it much.